what support ops means is a lot around operationalizing their workflows and they consume a lot of information. And so there's a lot of techniques, and this is true across both sales, marketing, CS, and support. I know as any sales rep probably does that support makes its way back to them at times. And so when you're starting to build escalation processes and the different ways that sales can get engaged or where it makes sense for them them to get engaged, you really start seeing that support affects the whole organization and being in RevOps and having sight lines to all of those different things can be really helpful just in terms of understanding how to get the best result and support and getting the happiest customers and the best sentiment. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Brian McTeague, who is the VP of Revenue Operations at Fastspring. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. So you may or may not be the first revenue operations professional that has come onto the show with aspirations to go into politics. First of all, is this true? Um, And when do you plan to make the move? It really depends on how well I do in this interview with the gotcha questions that I know you guys have planned for me. (laughs) Very good answer. Uh, For anyone listening, Brian was not aware that that question was coming, but Brian, thank you for answering so well. First, I want to to go right back to the start. At what point was your first sales or RevOps role? And why did you, or how did you find yourself moving into that role? Yeah, so I I had a pretty fun transition into RevOps, uh, as everyone does. Um, I, uh, I was actually in finance. So I know some RevOps people have finance backgrounds. I was doing a lot of support for sales and marketing. I actually did a bunch of kind of traditional uh, RevOps, sales ops stuff when I was in that group, like forecasting, quota setting, uh, bookings planning, that sort of thing. And then one day, the, the VP of, of sales ops kind of asked me, he said, I'm looking for a a director of RevOps in our to lead our EMEA RevOps or uh, sales ops team at the time, and uh, and he said, "What do you think about moving out to London and being our director of sales ops for EMEA?" So he took a chance on me, figuring out all of the other ops stuff that I didn't know coming from the world of finance, and I moved to a remote you know office and learned a ton about not just ops but the region, the cultural business differences, but uh, that was my first gig in sales ops. And it was a really fun one and a huge learning learning curve that I got kind of thrown into the fire on, but it was, it was a really good experience. And this was a web sense, right? 
It was, yeah. Cool, awesome. And, so you, and then you came back to the West Coast and continued uh, like through the Salesforce world at WebSense. That's right. So I, I uh, you know, had success in EMEA. And when the guy who, who kind of brought me in, when he left and moved on to a different role, I came back to San Diego to take over the global job. Awesome. Then zooming into to Fastspring today, can you just give the audience a sense of how many reps and how many people in the revenue operations function? Yeah, so Fastspring is a bit of a smaller growth company. We have about... So my team is six people. We have uh, about 50 people in sales total. That's about 20 you know, direct sales reps, uh, 12 to 15 BDRs, a handful of SEs, uh, and then the management team and a, a couple of other kind of headcount here and there because we segment our, our business by size, essentially. And has, have you always been in RevOps or were you sales ops and then transitioned to RevOps? And are you like actually managing? Ops. Yep, I was sales ops and, trin- and transferred, well, evolved into RevOps here at FastSpring. So within FastSpring, I actually have responsibility for sales ops, marketing ops, CS, support ops. Got it. And out of your time, how is that roughly split between those three areas? Mm, it really depends. It, it kind of comes in waves from different groups. But I would say we still probably spend 50% of the time on sales. We, we're just, we just have a lot more operational sophistication needed there. But we're spending a lot of time on CS and support. So our, we're a rev share model. So if you think about the importance of customer growth and you know applying different operational things to help make that easier and scale that process those processes uh, we do spend quite a lot of time on cs support <clears throat> and then the marketing side you know we're doing kind of a lot of the traditional uh, marketing ops functions executing campaigns etc what is like the biggest thing on your plate right now so the biggest thing on our plate so we are we're in this we're in this kind of you know, stage where we've we've grown, uh, and we're needing to hit kind of that second gear where we're getting to you know high revenue, continuing to grow at a fast pace on a bigger number. As everybody knows, is gets harder and harder. So, a couple of things that are big on our plate. You know, we've really got I think our our tech stack and our business process pretty well dialed in, but a couple of things that we're trying to evolve on are enablement. So. From an operational, pers- you know, from an operational and sales perspective, you know, we're noticing, especially during the pandemic, trying to manage remote teams, trying to get a lot of your enablement out of your sales managers, is is tough with all the things that we're, they're doing, hiring, recruiting, you know, one-on-one coaching, call listening, all the things that are a little bit easier when you're in a big, you know, sales floor, um, and so you get a lot of this kind of just-in-time enablement going on. And we're really trying to get regimented, plan for it. And I think we'll get a much better result. We're hiring for a sales enablement manager, which, uh, you know, if any of your listeners know anyone or, or are interested, please go to fastspring.com. Um, so we think that one's going to really help, you know, the business because we're onboarding and, and trying to ramp so many new people, but also just trying to have continuous and well-planned out um, alignment with product roadmap, et cetera. And the other thing that we're doing that's big is our market, uh, you know, has 
grown and we're we're still doing a lot of relatively kind of cold outbound with a you know a, our our standard playbook to our ICP or our kind of like best fit customers and our product has evolved in a way where we're actually getting we actually have a really good value prop for multiple segments so we're trying to i'd say you know scale that customization to those different segments and operationally we're trying to make that easy so a rep can look at their database or look at you know take 10 accounts that they want to prospect into identify the three that are in you know segment a four that are in segment b three that are in segment c and deliver the best message you know the best out prospecting effort to them and marketing to do the same and we're developing a lot of content for that and so it's it's really about scaling that customization to get a better hit rate for pipeline creation makes total sense what else is in the pipeline for 2021 uh well there's there's lots i mean those are those are actually the two things i just mentioned are two things that are still in the pipeline it's not something we've kind of um put a pin in yet but uh we do have a lot of product releases and so this is the place you know from a sales perspective where we're trying to get really good at uh what do they call it npi um so new product introduction basically getting to the point where our sales reps are are really well aligned with some of these campaigns they're they're given a set of assets to execute on that on those um you know pitches and make sure that those are successful and that's obviously critical for a company that's expanding their product line totally agreed we are now going to bring in alex to dig a little bit deeper uh oh thanks tom and thanks brian um Thank you, you. You, you've i've been well set up by tom to be to be very nice so um <laughs> okay hopefully <laughs> that will work out um the first thing i just i wanted to mention because it was new to me it may not be um, new to other people, but it was the idea of, of, of sort of um, RevOps overseeing support ops, um, and I wondered if that might be either particularly because as you mentioned your, your business model and the rev share and making sure things aren't broken. It's a it's, it's a quite clearly a, a revenue function in a, in a slightly different way, maybe in, in in other businesses, or if you wanted to make a pitch that it should be part of RevOps for you know majority of businesses. Well, you're saying support ops in particular. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's so for us, what, what support ops means is a lot around operationalizing their, their workflows and, uh, they need, they consume a lot of information. And so there's a lot of techniques and this is true across both sales, marketing, CS and support. It's, there's a lot of techniques that we use within the sales organization, let's say to bring insights forward and to bring content forward. And that's what you see our support teams doing. So it's really operationalizing their workflow. We use Salesforce for both sales and service. And so it makes a lot of sense to have people who are experts in, in the technology uh, working across both because they learn different ways to uh, surface those insights in a, in a smart way and it translates to the support organization. And the other part of it is data. And so, you know, obviously running a lot of analytics out of Salesforce, but uh, the RevOps team has gotten good at that, or at least our team has. And so those things are really valuable to support. Uh, but also when you think about building your workflows, I know as any sales rep probably does that support makes its way back in 
back to them at times. And so when you're starting to build escalation processes and you know the the different ways that sales can get engaged or where it makes sense for them, them to get engaged, you know, you really start seeing that support affects the whole organization. And you know, being in RevOps and having over having sight lines to all of those different things can be really helpful just in terms of you know understanding how to get the best result and support and getting the happiest customers and the best sentiment. Well, thanks very much. That was yeah, really, yeah, really insightful. And um, yeah, definitely some food for thought there in terms of yeah how that fits versus having them sort of sit under the, the development and product team um, mm-hmm. on that on that side. But yeah, no, thank you. Yes, also I was particularly interested by you said you know some of the the big focuses that you have um, coming up. So particularly your you know your sort of segmentation um, or customization effort to different segments in your in your outbound. And just wondered if you had any sort of things you're keen to share about there for sort of some of the ways you've been trying to to solve this the problem and and some sort of best practices. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of big parts of that effort. One is is kind of uh, database growth and enrichment. So we're in a space where it's not that easy to get great data on our prospects. Uh, so we're doing a lot of um, you know, we're offshoring some enrichment to that, but we're looking for things that are specific to our value prop. So we're trying to elevate the sophistication of the database to, yes, have all the accounts that we think are, are good targets, but also have the information on them that says they're a good target. This is what might appeal to them from a messaging standpoint and create those fields in Salesforce, populate them. And we're using some offshore folks who are actually going to their websites and finding out a lot. It's an e-commerce you know, product. So they're going to their websites and finding out a lot of this information just because it's there visible. But it's not something that you get from Zoom Info or DataFox or something like that. It's Some of it requires a little bit of a manual effort. But so the database effort is really big because it tells us not just who the, who the prospects are, but what might appeal to them in the best way and how to get the best response from them. So we're trying to get as much of that information as possible so that the reps aren't spending time doing that. And the other thing that we're doing is getting the assets together to make sure that it's clear which messages align with which segments. And so marketing has a big hand in this. They're developing content for the messages that we know are resonating the most because we have, we have tools like Sixth Sense that tell us you know, what's popular in terms of searches and in our space, in our target accounts. and so. That's a big warming up process where we're marketing to them, we're sending them the content that's relevant to their business and their segment. But then also when it comes to you know, actually executing on the sales side, you've got, we've got you know, sequences in, we use outreach for our kind of outbounding or for our you know, rep productivity tool. And so making sure that they have those sequences that are aligned with that, that have the right content within them, and that they can go to them with the best messaging. So you can tell it's a lot of operational things that are hopefully going to make the reps' lives very easy to do something that's not that easy. Yeah, brilliant. And also super measurable for the impact it has. And Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's, that's a very important point is that the feedback loop on which messages are resonating with those segments is going to be huge as we continue to iterate on that whole process. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. That was, that was very interesting. And then uh, it was just a bit of a thought about the enablement side. So obviously, you're, you're, you've seen it's a big enough problem that you want to hire for it specifically. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you you started to elaborate on the fact that, you know, particularly with remote working you know, during the pandemic, that's been been more of a problem. Um, but I suppose, and and you specifically mentioned, I think the point was it was getting done, but it was all a bit last minute, um, just mm-hmm. in time. Um, yeah. do, do you have any more sort of, has that sort of journey helped you come up with any sort of insights around just, I mean, it seems like an obviously important thing, but just to sort of actually place it in importance because it was an obviously important thing that tended to slip off the radar. And, and obviously that was some of the experience, I guess, that, that you had. Any sort of yeah. thoughts around that? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the things that tell you that it's needed, uh, just for those who are considering it, we can look at data internally and see adoption of some of the sales tools. You know, who's using outreach? Who's using the video prospecting tools? Who's using uh, their chat uh, on content? Those sorts of things tell us, okay, they may need some tech enablement, but as far as, you know, the manage- getting feedback from the management teams on call listening, their approach, you know, things that they're, they're struggling with will help you kind of build that enablement roadmap and tell you that you need it. But I've also worked in an environment where we did a pretty good job of planning out, you know, beginning of the month, you know, or a couple of weeks before the beginning of the month, what, what's coming out from a product perspective, take a look at the roadmap, take a look at the, at, at the, you know, the prospecting needs, what's needed from the team, from the sales management group. And then you have a couple of weeks to say, okay, let me align the right subject matter experts, get the content. And then we can, you know, we have four weeks of training and, you know, a lot of it's about getting engagement and this, you know, the sales enablement person isn't just a new hire trainee or trainer, um, but they're, you know, somebody who works really hard on what's the roadmap look like, make having accountability to getting everything aligned and getting the content ready. And that environment is, you know, you start seeing the, the tribal knowledge become really ingrained in in the sales team. And, you know, I just think that's better than the one-off training of, hey, this thing just launched. Let me tell you about it. And uh, good luck. I think it's it's much better to kind of have that, you know, scheduling of reinforcement of some of the things that you're you find are important for the for the time being. Yeah, no, it makes makes lots of sense. If you yeah. if you leave it as a sort of a byproduct, it's going to be kind of you know done that way. But having a roadmap just like for anything, um, it's going to help you advance and get better at it. Yeah. Um, cool. One one last question for me, which is um, a, just a general one. Um, but is there anything kind of particularly interesting that you're thinking about at the moment, or you know, a something that you think maybe the future of, of RevOps is heading, or something that you you think that might not be widely widely agreed to, or you know, some sort of a new insight? Um, yeah, basically just floors open for you to get on your soapbox and say whatever you like. Great. Well, I. Um... <laughs> There's lots. I, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about the kind of RevOps whole go-to-market perspective versus just the sales ops perspective. And I do think that there's, you know, you see with at least, you know, I'm in the software sales kind of arm of this, as a lot of people are in tech and are in RevOps. Uh, the thing that I see that's Kind of interesting, and I and I can't say I have the perfect answer of how to solve it though. Is that you do see a lot of a convergence of, you know, the selling process used to be you got your signature, and then you handed that over to implementation, and then they handed it over once they were implemented to CS, and and support, 
And then that was kind of the buyer journey. I think what you're seeing now is there's a lot of free products that turn in, you know, that they're monetizing in different ways. There's a lot of prospect, there's a lot of things that you're integrating and, you know, implementing before uh, you're starting to make money off of them, like our product. And so I think when you think about RevOps across the go to market, you know, kind of uh, revenue journey, there will be a lot of, you know, good techniques, I think, coming out around, well, where's the overlap and how do we make that a seamless process? I mean, obviously, people always want to do that. They've always said they want to do it. But I still hear people saying to marketing, your leads suck. And, you know, marketing saying, you're not following up on your lead, our leads the right way. And, you know, there's still a little bit of bifurcation. But I think in the RevOps world, trying to eliminate any of that is, is a big part of the job. And there's definitely some mutual alignment when you see the way that some of these, these actual go to market models for the software itself are, are converging into. Uh, you know, we used to call it freemium or try and buy, but it's it's really just different ways that people are monetizing throughout the revenue journey require sales to care about you know what happens in implementation, what happens in CS, and vice versa. And a lot of CS is becoming a lead gen engine, and so you know, I think those are the things that it's going to be. A challenge for RevOps to really, you know, align those multiple functions or multiple parts of the go-to-market engine, but uh, I think that also is is a big benefit. I mean, we're we're really selling adoption now as opposed to just selling a contract, and so things like that are pretty are pretty interesting. I think from a RevOps perspective to try and optimize. Great, thank you very much, um, Tom. Do you want to come back and then finish us off? All right, Brian, we have the final most important question. Who in the world of revenue ops would you most like to take for lunch? Well, I thought I might get this question because I'm an avid listener of the podcast as of recently in my car the last few days. But it's, I, I know that you asked this to, the, to a lot of your guests, and I still didn't prepare for an answer. But I, I actually do. I did think about it yesterday when I was listening to one of them. And... I've got a couple of things. One is I'm in Santa Barbara, which is a pretty small tech community. I've been wanting to get some folks from RevOps across that tech community because a lot of successful companies for how small of a market it is. Uh, so I'd love to have lunch with a, with a handful of those folks and just talk shop. Uh, that actually sounds really fun to me. But if I'm being honest, I've been out of the office. You see, I'm actually here today for, for uh, you know um, the first time in a while. But my team is somebody that I always love having lunch with. I got really lucky. I've got a great team and they're really fun. Our lunches typically include alcohol involved. So they are probably my first choice if I'm asking honestly. But uh, you know, I'd love to get together with other folks in the community as well. Very good answer, Brian. I want to thank you for coming on uh, and being arguably one of the funniest guests we've had on the show, as well oh, as obviously quite. having <laughs> no, no, as well as obviously having very good insights to share on revenue operations. Would you agree, Alex? Um, yeah, 100%. Amazing. Right. All right. Well, it was fun. Thank you, Nesha. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, 
and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. Thank you.